episode eight of the Vera Shafiq podcast, real and relevant discussions on business, marketing, technology, and digital. I'm your host, Vera Shafiq, and I talk to people in business and marketing who care about doing marketing the right way and want to be proud of the work they do. It's Tuesday, March the 5th, 2019. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. In this week's episode, I chat with Scott Brinker. I'm so excited to have him as a guest, and I have so much respect for him and everything he's doing for the marketing technology industry. You've probably seen his MarTech landscape super graphic that lays out all the marketing technology solutions available to date in a segmentized format. Last year, it featured 6,829 marketing technology solutions, and this year's updated version comes out soon. In the podcast, Scott talks about how to streamline and simplify your MarTech stack, what the fundamentals of that stack should be, and how best to add new technology. He also gives some good advice on how to strike a balance between technology-based and human marketing. If you're in marketing or business and would like some insights on the current state of marketing technology and what you need to do to stay on the cutting edge, you've got to listen to this episode because there's no one more well-versed in this topic than Scott Brinker. So I'd like to introduce today to the podcast, Scott Brinker. He is editor of the Chief Martech blog and the godfather of marketing technology, considering his massive contribution to the Martech space. He also serves as the VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, helping the company create more synergy with the rest of the marketing technology landscape. Scott is also the chair of the MarTech Conference, a renowned vendor-agnostic marketing technology conference, as well as being a respected author and keynote speaker. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Pleasure to have you. I've been following you since day one with the marketing technology, the MarTech blog, and uh, everything you've done for MarTech, you've kind of brought it out from, you know, behind the curtain, as it were, um, and exposed it to all its glory. And um, it's just interesting in terms of how you began your career. So can you tell us a little bit about that backstory and how you got to where you are? Yeah, sure. So my background actually was uh, as a software developer, as a product entrepreneur, uh, and uh, in the first wave of the internet, uh, the dot-com boom, if you were, uh, I ended up actually running the technology team for a web development agency. And it was really an interesting experience because the agency itself would generally get hired by the marketing team at one of the clients to say, okay, this is the grand vision of what we want our website to do. Um, and then it would be my job, uh, you know, on the technology team uh, for our company to then go to that company's IT department because marketing and IT didn't actually talk to each other. I'm like, okay, here's what marketing wants to do. Here's how we can make this happen. How do we interface to your systems? And so it was that going back and forth between uh, the IT team and the marketing team. I'm like, you know, these two should get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. With your current job or position at HubSpot, how did you get into that? And um, what kind of challenges have you faced in that position? Yeah. So as you mentioned, like for the past 10 years or so, I've been uh, writing the Chief MarTech blog and I helped get the MarTech conference started. Um, you probably uh, some of your listeners uh, have probably seen the crazy landscape of all these yes. different MarTech uh, vendors. Um, 
And so in the process of working on that over the years, it really struck me that there was a tremendous opportunity for the large MarTech systems to really develop a true platform strategy that instead of thinking like, oh, well, it's just everything that you know, Adobe develops or everything that Oracle develops or everything that HubSpot develops. Uh, but instead, actually, uh, right, it's what those companies develop on their own. But if they open up their APIs and if they put programs in place to allow other MarTech developers to interface to these systems to make it easy for customers to pick them and install, I could just, I mean, the, the world could be so much better. Uh, and so for years, uh, you know, uh, as, as one of those ISVs uh, out in, the, in that ecosystem, you know, I kept pushing on all these different companies to really embrace the platform potential. Um, and so after years of pushing on that, uh, HubSpot was uh, one that came to me and they're like, hey, wow, this sounds great. How about you come and help us do this? Uh, and as I yeah, have said before, it's kind of one of those, you had me at hello moments. Well, of course I'd love to see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, help make that happen. Um, so that's how I got where I am. Right. That's great. And then when you joined HubSpot, what was the biggest fire you put out and what was the biggest fire you let burn? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would phrase it this way, is this transition from from being a product company to being a platform company is not an incremental change. It is a radically different philosophy. Um, You know, I mean, when you're a product company, basically, well, (laughs) you think about your own products and, you know, here's what we build and here's what we sell. And, yeah, there's other stuff out in the world, but it doesn't really matter to us. When you're a platform company, that whole equation changes, right? It's it's not just about your products. It's about that entire ecosystem and all these other developers. And you really have to change your worldview to be like, okay, well, HubSpot isn't just what we build. HubSpot is what this entire community and ecosystem builds. Um, and that philosophical change, that that's taken a while. I'd say it took a mm-hmm. good year here in HubSpot, you know, of us just, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't even that there was any objection to it. It's just like, you know, when you've been so successful operating a particular way and thinking a particular way, sort of recalibrating and reframing the way you look at the world. Um, yeah, that just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about the MarTech 5000 landscape infographic that you just mentioned. I'm assuming the next one will be unveiled at the conference in San Jose? That's that's what we're hoping. Okay, great. <laughs> There's a deadline. There's a deadline. It's coming up fast, right? Um, uh, yes. <laughs> and I am guessing that, that that landscape has grown over the year, but can you give us any hints on anything in terms of has it grown, how much has grown, or any kind of pattern you're seeing in the new platforms that are coming up? Yeah, so I can say quite definitively it hasn't shrunk dramatically, right? It's not like, uh, you know, if if there were people out there who were hoping, okay, instead of 7,000 vendors, can we maybe get down to seven? Um, That's not going to happen. You know, we're actually still working through the data right now to see what the exact number will be. But, you know, at some level I feel like, hey, you know, if it's 5,000 or 7,000 or 10,000, at some point, 
it doesn't really matter. I mean, basically, the, the you know the the main point of the landscape has really become that this is a huge multi-vendor, like constantly changing, innovative market, um, and that isn't likely to change anytime soon. This is sort of the new normal uh, mm-hmm. for people in marketing. So yeah. uh, we'll see what the final tally comes out for 2019. But um, yeah, it's. It's not going to be significantly smaller. I'm sure right. about that. Sure. It might actually be quite larger. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's always interesting to see that come out every year. Um, and so you mentioned the conference that you have. Your you have two a year, correct? One in uh, San correct. Jose, right? San Jose, and then Boston, right? Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the Martech conference, just for the listening audience. Who is who's typically the you know the audience for that? And who should attend it? Yeah, we look at kind of three segments to our audience. Uh, so one segment is the people who are actually running these marketing technology tools. So it could be someone who thinks of themselves as a marketing technologist. It could be uh, someone who like is running marketing operations um, or even a smaller company. It could just be, you know, again, one of those digital marketers who like, Hey, I'm actually the person hands on having to make this stuff work. Um, so that's sort of like the, the, the original core audience. There's another audience above that, which are really the more senior marketers who it's important for them to not just understand what's possible with the technology in the sense of how does it impact what we can do strategically in marketing, but really to think about how does this change marketing management and marketing leadership? In fact, we have a whole track in the MarTech conference that's really about the management implications uh, of rethinking the way we run marketing uh, given these new capabilities and the new way in which things work. And I'd say the third uh, audience segment is um, uh, basically the the community of people who then want to serve uh, those audiences. So yeah, entrepreneurs and services vendors and, yeah, you know, MarTech vendors and, um, yeah. <laughs> cool. And so in terms of this year's um, coming upcoming conference, do you have any speakers that you can mention that are specific or especially exciting to you? Any keynote speakers or anything like that? Yeah, no, I'm uh, super excited about the uh, agenda this year. Um, actually, I get excited with the agenda every time. Um, you know, because one of the things I try and do with uh, you know the Martech editorial program is I generally avoid putting vendors on the stage. What I'm really looking for are the actual practitioners or leaders at different brands who can come and talk about what they're doing. Uh, and so at the San Jose event, you know, we've got um, uh, a, a range of companies. Like you've got some classic companies that we don't think of as being digital natives, right? You know, I mean, companies like Nordstrom, uh, Sub-Zero, uh, the, the folks at the New York Times who run the marketing technology group there, you know, coming to really talk about their stories of, you know, the state of the art of marketing technology, but in the context, you know, of businesses that have been around a long time. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, particularly being in, uh, you know, the Bay Area, uh, we've got some great digital natives too. So like Netflix, 
Netflix is going to come and talk about how they do uh, uh, testing. Uh, we all think about A-B testing. They've got some interesting new twists on it that they've been doing. They'll talk about that. Uh, Zillow is going to be uh, talking about their experience. LinkedIn talking about, uh, you know, data and how they deal with, like, uh, you know, really getting the most value out of data analytics. Uh, so it should be a really, a really good mix. Yeah, that's some big names. So that sounds really exciting. And I think um, your conference is is great in the sense that it uh, applies to entry level um, all the way up to, you know, super specialized technical people that are looking to kind of take their MarTech to the next level. So I think it appeals to a lot of different people uh, based on the different tracks that you have. So that's really great. Are you seeing a surge in marketing um, and sorry, in machine learning and AI platforms on the MarTech landscape? I mean, where does where does the, the, the machine learning types of platforms fall into the whole thing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We even wrestled with that last year. Um, and one of the things we debated was like, okay, well, should there be a category uh, for AI or machine learning? Uh, and in the end, we actually decided not to create a category because, frankly, these techniques of machine learning and other kinds of AI algorithms are being embedded in so many products across the entire landscape. It's almost, uh, you know, like <laughs> having a category for saying, hmm, well, do you have a database? Uh, yeah. Are you thinking of maybe communicating over the Internet? Um, it's all right, maybe not quite at that <laughs> level, but it's getting close. It's like just so many applications can apply even a little bit of machine learning to be, uh, you know, deliver greater performance or, you know, uh, offer new insights or just make the job of the marketer using the tool easier. Um, and so, yeah, that trend has certainly continued where, uh, you know, the companies we're looking at for uh, the 2019 landscape, that's just a lot of AI throughout, yeah. frankly, probably at least half the companies on that landscape at this point. Yeah, I think there's a lot of platforms that, that as you mentioned, have embedded AI and, and some marketers may not even realize it, but you know, like Google Ads uses AI in in some of their tech, you know, their uh, tools. Um, then obviously Adobe's platform it has the Sensei machine learning, um, which kind of helps us to personalize our messages and automate that whole process. So yeah, I think it's just something that's that's there in the background. So yeah, you're right. I don't think there could be a, a separate segment for that. So in terms of you mentioned, you know, all the proliferation of all of these uh, technologies and platforms. Do you see that as being a challenge to marketers in terms of having too much choice? And what do you think, what advice would you give to marketers to kind of ease the burden of building their technology stack without being overwhelmed with how much choice there is? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, it is a, uh, you know, the best of times, the worst of times sort of scenario because, I mean, it's amazing that you've got all these companies putting so much brain power towards the mission of improving marketing and marketing capabilities. But yeah, you know, on the other side of that, when, yeah, you've got a landscape with, you know, 7,000 solutions. Um, yeah, believe me, I understand that is incredibly daunting. So 
my advice to marketers is <laughs> first thing, <laughs> scrunch up that landscape and like <laughs> throw it over your shoulder. Um, and I say that only half joking. I mean, really for a lot of businesses, you know, in fact, probably the most majority of businesses, it's not about the number of tools you use. And what you really want to do is make sure your foundational systems are really good. And typically this involves like, you know, there's probably a CRM that you're also sharing with the sales org. Uh, you probably have a marketing automation platform for a variety of things, but like, you know, email campaign management, uh, you know, and intersections to your website. Uh, you probably have a CMS for, you know, managing, uh, the, you know, the web. And so even just like that triad of those three tools, getting those really solid and making sure that uh, you're using them effectively and that the kinds of programs and touch points you're delivering to prospects and customers through them uh, are actually effective. Um, that feels like, you know, 80% of the effort should go there. Um, and then once you've got that foundation, then I think you start to look in from the angle of not what are the tools out there, but what are the things that customers are expecting from you that maybe you're not yet serving? Uh, you know, and like as one example, you know, the chatbot stuff is, is, is a great example of this. Um, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, chatbots uh, are yet table stakes, although expectations are changing pretty quickly. So maybe they are. But like, you know, even a year ago, you know, they perhaps weren't. Um, but I could imagine like, okay, if you've got your CMS, your CRM, your marketing automation system all in place, and now you're like, wow, you know, we're noticing, you know, a lot of customers, like customers are asking like, you know, uh, is there some way I can, you know, get answers to these questions faster? Or we look at competitors and we see, you know, hey, wow, they're now serving, uh, you know, customers that way. You know, you, you start to look for these signals of like, hmm, is this something we should be doing with this? We need a capability in order to meet um, changing customer expectations. Uh, and I think as long as you keep it through that lens of what's going to matter to the customer, what's going to matter to the prospect, that makes it a little bit easier to go through that landscape, you know, not just <laughs> like a random walk, but saying, you know, I am looking for a solution to do X. Right. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think using technology for technology's sake is definitely not a good way to go. So I really think, you know, getting your priorities kind of sorted out first in, in, what, in terms of what you're trying to achieve as a marketer, and I think you're right, it, it, it should all be customer-focused. How do we make the customer life, customer's life frictionless? How do we remove friction? So yeah, that's, that's great, great advice. In terms of kind of hand-in-hand um, -hand with that, would you recommend a cleanup of the marketing stack. So say, say I was a new marketer, say I just walked into a company, a new company, and they asked me to help them with their marketing technology stack. Would the first step be, okay, let's clean up anything that's not being used, anything that's duplicated or, you know, kind of take it from the ground level and then work on adding or, you know, what, what's, what's a good strategy for that? Yeah, I mean, it does depend a little bit on the situation you walk into. I think, um, you know, I would look at tools roughly in two buckets. There are, again, those sort of foundational systems that, quite frankly, these are things that are going to touch almost every prospect and customer we have. 
And if they're not working and when you come into it, it's very well, maybe that they're not, there's problems with it. You know, I think that's the first priority is just, you know, really understand what's in place for those. And then either, uh, if they're great, awesome. Uh, if they're not fix them, if for whatever reason, there's an actual problem with the tool, that's just not going to be fixable, you know, replace that. Uh, but it's getting that foundation really stable. I think there's a different bucket of tools that are, you know, in some ways the nice to have or the more experimental things or the stuff that's a little bit more progressive, which, which is great. But I would say again, you know, that, that bucket can usually stay off to one side until you get your foundational systems in place. Uh, and then you start to go back home and say, okay, well, let's do an audit and let's look at each one of these. How are we using it? You know, what metric are we using to gauge if it's actually effective uh, for us and our customers? Uh, and I think you can be pretty, um, pretty harsh in basically saying, you know, Hey, we, this tool has been in your stack, but you know, based on a metric uh, by which you would actually measure whether it's doing anything for you, it's actually not. Uh, so unless if there's some clear way that we're going to change that, Let's get rid of it um, and to just simplify as much as you can so that then when you go to add new things, it goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago of like, okay, if I'm going to add something, it's because there really is a very explicit need or opportunity uh, and I'm now looking for a tool to address that specific capability. Right. Um, and one system that I've used in the past in terms of innovating on the, on the technology stack is taking a small percentage of the marketing budget or marketing resources, say like 10%, and kind of, as you, as you just mentioned, taking that off to the side and testing out something new, like a new shiny object. Um, is that something that you concur with or, or have seen done successfully? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's, it's sometimes easy for us to get to one extreme or the other, you know, um, uh, there's definitely a concern of like, uh, being overly distracted with too many shiny right. objects, but I also get worried when marketers say, Oh no, okay. None of that matters. None of that matters. Just stick with what, you know, these two things, two or three things and we're done. That's it. It's like, you know, there's, you, you're giving up opportunity, right? I mean, the, the world is changing. Customer expectations are changing. There's constantly new channels, you know, that are emerging of, you know, how do we reach customers in ways that several years ago might never have even been a possibility. Um, and if you don't reserve at least, yeah, you know, 10%, 20%, whatever that line is, but some sort of piece of your marketing resources and your marketing budget to, learning and experimenting and making sure that your business is keeping up with the change uh, in customer expectations. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a brilliant idea. I agree with you a hundred percent. Awesome. Um, so I mentioned about your uh, blog that I've been following for a long time and I remember uh, one of your recent posts or quite recent posts was uh, a matrix that shows the push and pull between the forces of centralizing and decentralizing and automating and humanizing. So there's this kind of um, push and pull or dichotomy between all of this, these types of forces. And I thought that was something that was just so topical in, in this day and age now, because mm -hmm. we're, we're hearing so much about you know, the human side of marketing, you know, you've got Seth Godin writing, this is marketing, you've got Mark Schaefer writing the marketing rebellion. And in these books, they're talking about how, you know, we 
have kind of lost the plot a little bit as marketers and we've started going off on these tangents trying to automate everything and we're not focusing on the customer anymore and it's become very unhuman. What are your thoughts and what is your take on how how to strike that balance? Yeah, you know, I mean, again, in some ways, this is exactly uh, what we were talking about, um, you know, with, uh, hey, do I try some experimental new things or not at all? Um, And it really is a matter of balance. Um, You know, I think in a digital age, to completely ignore the opportunity for automation um, is crazy, uh, right? I mean, you know, the, there's there's automation that can certainly make our own businesses, you know, much more efficient and effective. But actually, if we have really smart automation, in some ways, right, the ideal isn't just about making us more efficient. It's about can we provide services through digital channels to our prospects and customers that make them more efficient, you know, in getting the answers they need or the services they need. And so, you know, I, you, I, I definitely wouldn't be in the camp of like anti-automation. Sure. But that being said, man, you know, there's a lot about what, uh, you know, uh, Godin writes about, um, you know, and Schaefer, it's like, it really resonates with me that, you you can lose the plot if you get too deep into like, oh, well, it's automation and I'm looking at the analytics on my screen and, you know, this number is going here and this other light is flashing over here. And somehow it just it gets disconnected from the empathy of the real human beings that we're trying to serve and engage with. Um, and so, yeah, I think one of the things you can do is just, you know, looking at the automations that you have. I mean, pick one, say like a nurturing campaign in your marketing automation program. And some one of the things I'll suggest is like if you have these automated programs that are just sort of acting on your behalf without any direct human intervention, kind of a cool thing to do every now and again is to pause that mm-hmm. and actually personally send that email yourself. You say, all right, pause this nurturing thing. I've seen this lead come in. Actually, going to send them a version of this message directly from myself, and I just want to see what sort of interaction there is. I might even add on to it, you know, an open-ended question because one of the things we tend not to do in these automated systems is have open-ended questions because the automations have a tough time dealing with that, you know. But us as human beings, we can ask the open-ended question of like, you know, was this helpful for you, or what more could I answer, or is there any other way I could be, you know, and just see what the reaction is. If the reaction is, no, this is perfect. Thank you. It's exactly what I wanted. Okay. You can turn the automation back on. You're like, all right, at least I have a a data point here that suggests this still is serving things. And I just, I think looking at those opportunities to every now and again, just um, provide a check and balance on uh, the automation can be really valuable. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think another example of that would be a chatbot where, you know, a lot of times I'll come across a chatbot, which asks a, you know, multiple choice question, like, what are you interested in? This, 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 or this. So you select that and then it takes you through another automated question. And then finally you do end up speaking with a human being because you can tell that there's a human behind there. So it kind of routes you into um, something that maybe it couldn't answer and therefore you're now speaking to a human. And I think that's a good way to balance it too. So yeah, I agree with, with you. So Scott, listeners of this podcast, um, a lot of them are just starting out in their marketing careers or, you know, are getting their feet wet in marketing and, um, or they may, they may be, you know, some of these may be looking to get into MarTech specifically or a, uh, role that involves MarTech. 
Uh, do you have any advice on how they could get in the, their foot in the door of, of the MarTech profession and, and really specialize in that? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the good news is, all right, let me, <laughs> the, the, the challenge is there's so much to learn, right? Sure. You know, it's all these tools and tactics and, uh, you know, um, but in many ways, while that's a challenge, that's also such a tremendous opportunity because businesses everywhere are just hungry for people who are willing to embrace this stuff and figure it out and learn it. And the fact that it's constantly changing and there's so much in some ways is a very leveling function. Like, you know, I mean, if I've been, you know, doing marketing technology for 10 years, I mean, that's great. But the truth is the technology stack of today looks very different than it did 10 years ago. And so someone who's really just starting in MarTech today, you know, I mean, there's other experience, you know, it's a, you know, careers too, but, you know, from the actual technology itself, I mean, basically you start today and you start learning how this stuff works. Um, you know, you can really be at the cutting edge pretty quickly. Um, and the other thing that's really good about this stuff right now is so many of these tools are available either as like, premium, you know, or they put these education courses around their tools for free up on the web. And so you don't even need like an expensive education to go after this. All you really need is the willingness uh, to find the tool and start playing with it and learn it and figure it out. And, uh, you know, I always encourage, you know, people in MarTech, like, you know, aside from, you know, whatever you do for your day job, have something on the side and have like, you know, whether it's a little website or a blog or, you know, a podcast or any of these things where it's basically an opportunity for you to experiment with some of these other tools in something that matters to you. And then the learning you take from that, you're really able to apply that then to, uh, yeah, your, your, your real job. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Would you say that having a background in, in programming or computer science or, you know, anything technical in terms of programming language, do you think that would help someone get into the field? Is it, is it a requirement or do you, as you mentioned, do you think it's just something you can self-teach yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. So we just actually ran a survey on uh, MarTech salaries and roles and responsibilities, uh, and we haven't officially released the data on that yet. But I can tell you one of the questions we asked was, yeah, about, you know, what sort of undergraduate degree they had or things like that. And it's actually a really small percentage that have a background in engineering or computer science or IT or something like that. And I actually take that as a really encouraging sign. You know, I think it does go back to, you know, this point that so much of this is hands-on that if you're willing to just, if, if you're interested and you're willing to like learn how this stuff works, yeah, I don't think that you explicitly need to have had a background as a programmer to uh, have an advantage. I mean, you could argue actually, while for maybe some things it's advantageous to have a little bit of that programming mindset. Um, it also works in the other direction that, you know, as a pure marketer who's maybe like has a background in psychology and like you're really trying to, again, understand that empathy of how this stuff impacts the actual humans we're working with. That's such a super valuable perspective to bring to marketing technology. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's any barriers either way. Sure. Sure. Great. So let's, uh, shift the conversation a little bit to, uh, agile marketing. And the reason I bring that up is I know you wrote a book called Hacking Marketing, 
And uh, it taught, I read the book, great book, really enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of near and dear to my heart because I am a proponent of agile marketing techniques and methodology. Um, so when I read your book, I was excited to hear about how agile is being implemented more and more today in a marketing space, should I say. So what's your thought on that? Are you seeing agile being used uh, in various uh, companies or uh, applications? And, and what's your take on agile marketing today? Yeah, I do think it's growing in adoption. Uh, and there's, you know, I mean, data that's uh, been run, um, uh, Andrea Friere at um, Agile Sherpa is like runs an annual survey of this. It's pretty comprehensive. And you, you steadily see this, like, you know, increase. I think the truth is it's a you know, marketing is a huge industry, a huge profession, you know, and in some ways I feel a little bit self-selected that, you know, in in the more martech pieces of this, I think agile marketing has taken, uh, has, has come, we, we've come further faster uh, in that particular segment, just because, you know, the, the themes of agile, you know, uh, resonate so well with, you know, the technology world that those people who are close to that, I think it's come a little bit more naturally. I think we still have a long way to go though. If I look at just the broad universe of all marketing organizations out there in the world, you know, I think probably a lot of them have now heard of it, but the number that are practicing it, or, you know, maybe they're just thinking about, little pieces of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect there's easily another five to 10 years of uh, progress to be made and truly just getting this to be, uh, you know, uh, sort of best practice of how all marketing organizations work. Yeah, I think you're right. I think some organizations are using aspects of agile in the sense that they're doing iterative processes, they're doing a test and learn methodology, um, but they're not necessarily doing the full fledged scrum sprints, um, you know, all of that good stuff, Kanban, whatever, and really following it to the letter. I, I do believe there's a value in doing that. But as you said, it, it the adoption is, is a little slow on the uptake. But um, yeah, it's just super interesting how it's come from an IT environment and now, you know, has has found a use in a marketing space. So Okay, we're getting towards the the end of our our conversation, but I did want to ask you since you're on a podcast and I know that you're you're you've been a guest on many podcasts before. What about you? What podcast do you listen to if any? Oh, wow. For me actually, I am not a regular listener or a regular reader for anything because I Actually, this is what I enjoy is I love hopping around. So I'll like, you know, listen to one episode here, one episode, something else. Um, Actually, my uh, discovery mechanism is primarily Twitter. Uh, You know, every morning I jump into my stream. I'm like, okay, well, you know, all the people that I'm following and I try and follow a lot of folks who are really doing this stuff. You know, I just take a sample of, okay, well, what are they sharing? What are they excited about? Hmm, let me check that out. Uh, so I don't know if that's a good habit to advocate or not, but sure. uh, yeah, it didn't, you know, <laughs> I enjoy it. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Are you up for some quick fire questions before we wrap this up? Sure. Quick fire away. All right. So I'm going to ask you what I ask all of my guests at the end. Uh, what is a guilty pleasure that you indulge in? Oh, oh uh, going out for dinner. Love it. <laughs> Me too. Um, how about something that not many people know about Scott Brinker? 
Mm, so I was originally on track to be a professional musician. Uh, I originally went to music school. Oh, really? Got diverted into computers. <laughs> oh, okay. And was there a special, uh, specific instrument that you specialized in? Uh, I was originally a keyboardist, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it was sort of like a pop rock music uh, uh, fascination. So yeah, guitar, drums, oh, you know, wow. the whole work. Awesome. Only thing I could not do was sing. I could definitely not sing. <laughs> awesome. Well, we look forward to maybe having you perform at one of your conferences. <laughs> that would be awesome to see you see you in action. <laughs> <laughs> Today's entertainment. Yes. <laughs> Um, and finally, uh, this is this one kind of stumps people quite a lot. Is what would you be doing now if you were not in marketing technology? Oh, that is an interesting question. Um, so you know, one of the things that I discovered accidentally in this process is how much I actually enjoy. Uh, teaching. I mean, in many ways, that's what I sort of see is, you know, the, the things that give me the most joy on my blog and at the conference are when I feel like I'm actually able to help educate, you know, people on some particular concept or idea. And wow, I mean, that as a mission or as a career uh, had never even crossed my mind, uh, you know, before. But yeah, now having sort of fallen into, you know, what's happened with the blog and the conference, I'm like, wow, that is, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of joy uh, to being able to take some foggy subject and hopefully uh, make it a little bit clearer for people. So I guess uh, I'd pursue that. Nice. I like it. All right, cool. Well, before you leave, could you let our listening audience know where they can connect with you uh, if they want to contact you or ask any questions? Sure. Uh, so my blog is chiefmartech.com, but it's uh, Chief Martech without the H at the end. So C-H-I-E-F-M-A-R-T-E-C.com. Uh, and as it turns out, that's also then my Twitter handle, at Chief Martech uh, without the H. Uh, story for another day as to why it's without the H. Um, and so definitely feel free to reach out on Twitter. And then uh, my email is sbrinker at chiefmartech.com. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much, Scott, for joining me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and uh, hope to meet you in person one day. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did like what you heard, please subscribe to catch more episodes, and I'd really appreciate it if you left me a review and shared with your friends and colleagues. Visit my website at verashafiq.com, connect with me on LinkedIn, or send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time. <laughs>